Reconciliation. What does this mean to you? This is the Journey with Care podcast, where we navigate honest conversations about faith, culture, and loving our neighbors. I am the host, Melvina Gabosh, and I am an Indigenous lover of Jesus. Well, today I'm here with Virginia Spence. She is a pastor of Courageous Heart Ministries, and she is an associate coordinator, a support worker working with adults who have aged out of the system. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being with us here at Journey with Care. It's actually very exciting. I've been looking forward to this for all week now. <laughs> awesome. Glad to hear. Glad to hear that. You know, when I um, went into prayer and asked the Lord, okay, who do you want me to interview? Who are the first couple interviews that you want me to sit down with? And your name came to me. And then I, I, I reached out to you. And that's where I found out that you work in the child welfare system. And so I was really excited about that because Care Impact is, you know, it's child welfare. They work with families and children and the church. And you are also a pastor, a pastor of an awesome ministry, a ministry that I've been able to enjoy along these last couple of years of knowing you. So I'm excited to have you with us today on Journey with Care. So I just ask you just to be free and um, just share with us whatever you would have to share with us, whatever the Lord is leading of you. So I actually, I just want to start off by maybe saying, maybe asking, what does reconciliation mean to you? Well, as I was thinking about that, uh, we have a lot happening in the news and in the community right now. The TRC has been going on for quite some time, education, organizations building around that. There's 92 calls to action. There's People are using a lot of that information to build programs, to set up things, to make changes within their own organization. And I thought about that, the definition of reconciliation. And then I also thought about coming from the church world and the Lord has a plan for reconciliation. Yes, he does. As a pastor and as a child of God, we need to make a decision where we stand. Not because we're making a separation, but we need to know where the end place is that we want to go to. And I think for me, being a born-again believer, it's really important that my focus continue to be uh, single-minded on the reconciliation of Christ. So He wants us to be restored back to Him completely. He didn't make a separation in between my language and somebody else's language. He created me with that language. Um, he didn't make a separation with me between my skin color and somebody else's skin color. He created me with that skin color. There was one story that I heard years ago, and I just love it. This young man went to an elder, and he said to him, you know, how do I become a leader of my people? And that old man said to him, he said, what, what do you know about your people? And then he drew a, a circle on the ground, and he put these four directions on the ground and, and each of the colors. And that young man said, well, I know about the black color and their nation came across the ocean and they were put into uh, slavery and they overcame things. And he said, what do you understand about the yellow color? And he said, well, I know that, you know, they also live across the ocean. They have a lot of technology. They have a lot of advances. They do things in our country. They're 
a very progressive nation. And he said, what do you know about the white color? And he shared a little bit about the understanding that he had of, of those people. And he said, what do you know about the red color? And he said, oh, well, that's my color. He said, I, I love that color where, you know, I want to fight for my people. I want, I want them to have rights. I want all these things to, to happen, you know. But when he was asked about the white color, there was a different answer because it contained some anger and it contained hurt. And there was a lot of stuff in this answer that brought up different emotions in this young man. And that was kind of some of the the purposes and the reasons that he felt that he wanted to be a leader for the Red Nation. And he was waiting on this old man to see if he was ready to be a leader. And this old man said to him, when your heart is able to love all three of those other colors just as much as you love the red color, then you're ready to be a leader. And so, you know, that holistic, that understanding of us as nations and us as people getting ready to love one another. I think that that's the piece of reconciliation that, you know, the Lord brought into my life. And he restored me to himself, which basically it put purpose to all those things that I had gone through in my life. It put purpose to so many of the hurts and the difficulties because I didn't have the the understanding to make a connection to the to the dots if you you know the experiences and why they happened to me. I just wanted to share a quick scripture here that just really blesses me and it encourages me when I think about those trials and it's in Peter chapter one verse seven that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love in whom, though not ye see him, not ye believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so that combination speaks to putting purpose and faith in the walk that we have in this world, no matter the color of our skin, no matter the place that we were raised, no matter the parents that we got, no matter the situation that we walk through. What is it in your life that's going to add purpose and love to that so that when you connect with that next person, that's what you're giving them? I love that. So I think that's my understanding of reconciliation in in a holistic sense. Awesome. So you're a pastor. You're a pastor and you also work with child welfare. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your job and your position and what you do with child welfare? Um, it's technically the adults who've aged out of care. So at the end of your, whether you're placed in adoption, foster system, foster homes, um, institutions, uh, there's a, a time when they will the system will no longer fund you. And so a lot of our families or our young people find themselves at age 18, 21, they come out and they leave home, they leave the shelter, they leave the foster home. And sometimes supports are put in place and they transition to a job, they transition into a marriage or a relationship, they kind of move on with their life and, and forget about being in care. But there's a group of our families 
more often than not, and we see them all over the place, that fall between the cracks. Yes. And so Ashkegizik is called Walking Stick Program. And so I'm just going to read the mission statement here. It says, this Indigenous-based organization will walk beside, advocate, and support people affected by FASD or other disorders, strengthened by cultural practices and traditional teachings. Support will assist in restoring balance to individuals and community affected by trauma and violence. And they're guided by the seven sacred teachings, love, respect, courage, honesty, wisdom, humility, and truth. So when did you join the team? In 2019. 2019. So what kind of education and experience did you bring to the team? Um, I have uh, three and a half years of my Bachelor of Social Work. I have a certificate for administrative assistance and computer applications for business, which is uh, primarily business writing and a lot of technical stuff. It basically upgraded me because I came into my understanding of computers uh, probably a year after they put computers into the schools. Okay. And so I didn't actually have any of that. I just kind of went on my own and I, I learned on the job. And so I found I had a lot of computer information at home on my computer, but I didn't know how to use it. No idea. And so when I went back to school in 2000, 2015 for computer applications for business through Ganiganijic, I was upgraded on Microsoft. It was such a big help and such an eye-opener. And I thought, wow, like had I known how to do all this stuff years ago, it would have made my job so much easier. <laughs> but I had to learn the hard way. So I, you know, use the help and you don't make all the mistakes. And But I mean, I think it's so important for our older generation and our families to have access to some kind of training to upgrade themselves and give them confidence that you can get into this new world too, because that's what it's about. We have to still be able to communicate, still be able to properly give services. And so we have to know how to function in our world. So in your in your role as an assistant coordinator, how do you see reconciliation within your role and within the communities and the children that you guys are kind of connected to? Um, well, we recently had a founding member pass on and he was most proud of the organization because it was a mixed group of people, indigenous, white, a group of people that would come alongside a primarily First Nations group of young people that were aging out of care and needed supports, and that they all were willing to work together to make this organization work and give the supports to these young people as they were coming out. Falling between the cracks means homelessness, it means suicide, it means overdose, it means struggling on the street. And so the supports that were put in place for the families are everything from case managers, support workers, coordinators, support mentors, programs, housing, foster homes. We have one home that's 24-7 care, and we have other homes that are like cluster homes and they're the different different levels of care, more independent. But we try and provide supports for everybody. We have people that don't quite fit the criteria, but yet the agency will reach out and make adjustments to help them fit. That's awesome. I like that. I like when 
you know, we don't fit the box. That's right. But um, people who are in authority are in power or have um, influence, have, you know, the say or the opportunity to allow the box to fit us, to fit our experience and our circumstance, right? Uh, Very often, many people don't fit the box, you know, but that I don't I don't feel like in in searching for identity and place and purpose, we're going to fit the box all the time, right? Mm-hmm. The system was actually created for us not to fit the box. And that's one of the things that we run up against consistently is through colonization, we were supposed to be changed, changed into yes. something that would fit. And so all these things were meant to be cut off and, and made different because of the Indian Act and some of the things that were our treaties, we have existed on reserves in being able to not disappear Yes, into that box. And I, I think that's the exciting part of who we are as First Nations people, our resiliency, things like blood memory, things like our spirituality, our connection to the land, our rights to the land. Some of those things are so important for us to know God gave that to us as First Nations people, but this wasn't the first time. He gave that to the children of Israel as well, and their connection to the land and who they are right now solidifies them, and and God gave them a promise. He said, like, don't touch my people. Don't try and change who they are. Yes. I'll do that. Yes. I'll take care of that. And when when I hear about reconciliation, and I think about it, and it's because it's deep in my spirit, because I was adopted in the 60s scoop. So there was always this First Nations white thing going on within me. I asked the Lord, I said, how, how are you going to do this? Like, how, how do we do this? You know, going to elders, talking about the word unity and hearing things in the church about fellowship and the body of Christ and back and forth and you know, seeing different parts of my family, hearing my grandmother's story, hearing my my mom's story from two different perspectives. When I asked the Lord, you know, it says in the word of God that Jesus Christ will bring the nations together. Yes. It doesn't say that we'll come and fix it or find a program or find a way to do this. We, we're not going to do any of that. He will bring the nations together. Our job is to be here and to love one another and to help each other get through that place, get to that place where we're, we're ready, we're, we're waiting for that time when he's going to do the work to bring the nations together. And I see many things, like when I saw, I think it was Standing Rock happen a few years back, and I saw all these First Nations flags and these communities and these chiefs and people go into that place and stand in unity, one right after the other. It was so incredible. The whole world was watching. And then I said, What are you, what are you saying, Lord? Like, what are you trying to, what are you trying to talk about here? What are you, what are you sharing? And they said that the women at the front, the ones who were on the front lines, were speaking words of love and faith, nonviolence. And they were standing in faith and they were praying for people no matter what they did to them they stood on the front lines and they refused to to lift their hands in violence and it was such an incredible test to these women 
And I thought, you know, this is something that the whole world is taking notice of. And they're paying attention to love and faith. They're paying attention to to the cross, essentially. Because the cross represents love and forgiveness. The cross represents the love of Jesus Christ, his blood, and to forgive. The forgiveness that we have and the forgiveness that we need to give one another and each other. And those are not things that are about letting anybody off the hook or giving people an easy out. Those are things that free us from the corruption in our spirit that comes with bitterness and anger, um, hurt, all these things that take form and they, they start to manifest in our body. Cancer, diabetes. Yeah. Now that you're talking about forgiveness, forgiveness comes the way that I see forgiveness and how forgiveness has happened in my life is I first had to be healed to be able to forgive. And so I want to talk about a little bit about your journey of your healing journey. And you shared with us that you were adopted Mm -hmm. and there was a struggle that you faced. And I feel like a lot of the children that Care Impact reaches and the families like that, there's a, there's an internal struggle, mm-hmm. you know, that comes from someone that has been adopted. So why don't you share with us a little bit of your journey and how you were able to find, you know, that healing and your identity in Christ and that reconciliation back to Christ that you spoke about. I would like to hear about that. Um, I was raised in Southern Alberta, right across the river from my home community. My dad had a, a small farm and they were in the Mormon church, strong Mormon community surrounding in Alberta. We went to church every Sunday. I was sent away to college. I graduated high school. I was given, you know, I trained horses from the time I was nine years old all the way through to my teenage years. I was involved in the community. I was, I got awards for speaking. Things on the outside looked incredible. Like they just looked like, wow, you know, you're so so fortunate and everything is, you know, your family is so wonderful. On the inside where nobody could see, there was a lot of wondering about things that happened, you know, in my, in my daily life that nobody could answer. Nobody had answers for me because it really wasn't a thing. It really wasn't important. And as a matter of fact, it was my experience and who I was was never meant to be shared. It never mattered right from the beginning. It was set up to fix me. The same thing as residential schools. It was set up to take the child out of her family, out of the scenario where things were deemed wrong by society and put you in the box. Yeah. Yeah. And, and fix me. So this is what was, what was being required. And I technically wasn't supposed to have anything to say about it. Unfortunately, I was born with a voice. Unfortunately, you're a strong Indigenous woman. (laughs) I started to, as a lot of children would, rebel. And and through that experience, there was anger. There was probably depression. I just didn't have any words for it. Uh, There was fear. I remember hiding from God in a closet one time hiding under the bed from my mom. Different things that a child really wouldn't have to, wouldn't have to have that type of experience or hurt in a normal setting, but I didn't have a normal setting. 
And I certainly didn't have any way to measure that or reach out to somebody and say, this is something's wrong here. So very recently I was, I was working on a, a music recording with a, a young man and, and my husband, and we were in the, getting ready to go into the recording room. And he said, so how do you feel about singing? And I said, I, I can't stand my own voice. <laughs> and he said, do you know why? And my husband said, she has a, she has an amazing voice. And I said, I, I just have had this thing since I've been really young. And I started to share what I remembered about that. And I remember it was like, it, I think it was Christmas time. Those old cassette recorders, I had been recording songs off the radio or, you know, my, my Christmas songs. And so I had played record and I got interrupted. So I stopped the recording and I went to go back and I listened to my voice as I was speaking about something. And in the background, what interrupted me was my my mother had been angry with me about something. Okay. And so I heard her on this recording and the yelling that she was doing literally sent fear. Like it just shot through me. And this fear that I had, I had to, um, I had to turn off the recording. And for whatever reason, I associated the sound of my own voice with that fear. And it was just something when I shared about it and I talked about it, I just, I literally broke down crying because I didn't know that fear was resting in there for such a long time. How old were you when you realize this. I feel like God, he goes in stages, right? Yeah. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to be whole, but he's not going to, you know, make us do it all at once. So he does it, you know, stage by stage. So how old were you when you figured out that your voice was connected to fear? That was just this year. That was very recently. Yeah. So I, I did sing on my husband's CD prior to that. And I just sang very quietly kind of in the background and I did make it through a song that I was very comfortable with but after that CD was done then it was Christmas time and everything was kind of closed down and I was working on one of my websites for the ministry and for for myself personally and all of a sudden they started coming out with these numbers these children that were being discovered Mm. And I went on to my blog and I just wrote on there about where is my voice? What happened to my voice? And it really caused me to take a look at what did happen to my voice? Why was I silent all these years? Why did I not share like I'm doing today about what happened to me? And where did that fear come from? And so I started to write songs. I, that was my way of expressing. I've done poetry and songs since I, for as long as I can remember. And I have a, about 55 songs wow. in this book. And they've just never been released. And so... Maybe that's where your healing is, though. I Yeah. You, you just share, you know, sharing it out on paper, in yeah. songs and in poetry. And it's so exciting because I'm this year, I started on that process. And just to kind of speak to that little girl or that child that was back there 
<clears throat> all those years ago? Mm-hmm. And what would I have said? How would I have spoken to her? And the strength, and I have a sister who's with me on this journey, and she's, she says, it's just like when you speak, she said, you're speaking out things that have been in, in, in her life. And so I think there's more of us out there. Yeah. There's more women out there that need that. As Indigenous people and as an Indigenous woman, uh, when they found the unmarked graves, actually it was just a couple of weeks ago that we reached the one year mark of that. I was, I wanted to share a little bit of my story with that, with my healing too, because God moves in stages, right? And you know, something so significant and so um, impactful that had happened and they found the graves and it was, it was no more hiding it. There was no more hiding what had happened. I didn't even know that I had this thing that God wanted to heal me from, but I was laying in my bed one night and I was going through Facebook and I came across this story of a woman that was maybe about my mother's age. My mother passed away when I was 17 years old. She was 38. This woman would have been about my mother's age, you know, in present time. And she was telling about her story and that when she was in residential schools that the nuns used to wash her with bleach. And I was reading this story. It was just part of her story. And I was reading it. And and I, I sat up on the bed and I just started to cry. And I said, God, what are you trying to do here? Because when I was a child, my mother used to wash me with bleach. And I never knew why. And she would say these things over me when she did that. And, and it, it made me feel ugly and to be ashamed of the color of my skin. But I was only a child when this happened to me. And for many years, I carried that. You know, my mother died when I was 17. So I was never able to ask her. Or she was never able to experience her own healing in that. And through this story, I was able to see why that happened, because that happened to her. And those insecurities and that self-hate, because we're dark, right? We're dark Indigenous. My mom was a dark Indigenous woman. I am as well. And so I, she would wash me with bleach, but it was something that had happened to her. And she did it to me because it was passed on. She was passing it on because she, she didn't know how to probably process it. She didn't know why that happened to her, and she passed it on because she didn't heal from it, right? But God is so faithful that even though my mother is no longer with us, he brought this story out that was able to start the healing in my identity and, you know, the color of my skin. And, you know, that now I, I, I look at myself and I'm, I'm, I'm a beautiful brown Indigenous woman. You know, I, yes. love, I love my skin, <laughs> you know, but the enemy, he tried so hard to to steal that from us, to steal and to kill the, the identity of, of our culture and of our beauty and, and make it shameful and make it like we don't have a right to be these people, to be Indigenous people. But it says in the Word of God that He does not make mistakes. He does not make mistakes. We were created in His image and He knew what He was doing and He created all nations. You know, so in that in that time, I was able to really just be able to heal. And, you know, I'm I'm a middle aged woman right now. <laughs> so it took me from then to now, you know, to be able to heal. But that's just how faithful he is that, you know, he'll heal us when, you know, he'll bring something up and he'll root it up and we'll go through that process with him because he's a good father. Yes. Yeah. One of the experiences, like, I think um, part of the the attack that was always on my life because of my voice was because God knew that eventually I would be ministering the word. Yes. And in order to minister the word. He wanted to silence you. Yes. You have to have a boldness. You have to have the the willingness to move with how he's going to move during that particular um, 
whether you're sharing something peaceful and, and quiet or whether it's going to be strong or, I mean, there's very, you know, yourself as a, a minister and delivering the word of God. Sometimes there's correction. Sometimes yes. there's a strength that you personally don't have. I would, because of my voice and being shy and they always said soft-spoken, sometimes the move of the Holy Spirit during something behind the pulpit looks very different. You're, yes. you're no longer that person. And so it takes a trust between, it's very, it's very intimate between you and the Lord during that time. And I feel like he's been able to take me to places where I never, I know it's God because I know within myself and people who know me know I would never go there. I would never have that ability. So I think that's the beauty of our reconciliation with within the Lord and even with the peace that we're talking about with with my mom, the love and the forgiveness. These cycles and these things that have happened with our family, they're generational. And I was brought up in a mixed family. I was brought up in a family that there was white children born after me and they adopted me thinking they weren't they were an older couple that they wouldn't have children of their own. So the children after me were their own. And they no longer wanted to adopt. They got an offer to adopt my brother, and they didn't. There was four of us. One sister I've never seen yet. Uh, my mom was very sick with cirrhosis. She died when she was 29. And she was sent back from Seattle to the blood reserve on a plane. And she, they told her, you will send the baby after. The baby actually had uh, some kind of a, a birth defect or difficulty with her leg and so they were going to send a nurse with the baby and my mom went back and the baby never came back. So we've never found her yet. My older brother uh, passed from suicide when he was 25 years old. So there's myself and my a brother that I met for the first time at the funeral of my other brother. So the two of us have done what we can to stick together over the years and, and stay connected. I am my namesake. Virginia, when I would ask where to, where my name came from, over the years, my mom would say, oh, it's a lady, you know, down the road, or it's your Auntie Virginia, or it's this person or that person. One of the uh, articles that I finally found in a newspaper, a tiny, tiny little article, says that uh, Virginia Aberdeen was murdered by her boyfriend at the age of 28, and I believe she was eight months pregnant. And so... I also identify with murdered and missing women because of my name. Yeah. And that was the one thing that wasn't changed. They changed my last name, but they didn't, uh, from Aberdeen to Smith, but they didn't change my first name. And it was always like a given Catholic name. And so I always wondered about that. You know, where did my name come from? And um, when I found that out, I thought about, my ability to overcome violence in my past, violence in relationships, and, and come out from there as quickly and as strongly as I did. And I really believe that that has to do with being that survivor, being resilient on a completely different level, that sometimes these things are broken in the spirit through prayer and through, through change. And so I didn't have to suffer the way that my, my auntie suffered. And so 
there's these things that I was finding out later in life because of adoption about myself and who I was. I was sharing about, you know, training horses. I found out that my dad was one of the best horse trainers on the reserve. He's actually from Pagan Reserve. My mom was from the Blood Reserve. And um, he was very talented. My brother was uh, a rodeo bull rider for a lot of years. And there was just so much of that culture that was that came through our bloodline without us even realizing it. The musical history, my grandfather was receiving bluegrass awards. Every single one of his sons made their own instruments and sang from the time they were, um, I guess, grow- growing up. He had a band and he traveled all over. And so now my son, one of my sons sings in Alberta and he's recorded several CDs and stuff. And he takes, he fully takes on that, that gifting. And now I look at my kids and I can see, oh, you get this from your grandfather. Oh, you get this from this side of the family. Whereas when I was growing up, I didn't even know my medical history. I I had to wait. I had to find a cousin of mine that said, Virginia, you need to check yourself for thyroid because we have thyroid that runs in our family. On the Pagan Reserve, there's a lot of arthritis. Some of these things, now I can connect them to family members in my medical history, but I didn't even have that, you know, when I when I grew up. So you're a pastor of Courageous Heart Ministries. How did God lead you to that? I was involved very strongly in the Red Road, called it for about 15 years. Sweat watches. I was a sun dancer. I I learned with different. I think Calvin Pompana was a, a Sioux elder. And I, I sat in his lodge for a long time. Um, he had a very close language. The Sioux language is very close to Blackfoot and some of the teachings and stuff. So I felt comfortable there. I was in Little Black River with Pritchard House and Peter Ochis and some of those people, Rolling River, um, Randy Hunting Hawk. Okay. And you did that for 15 years? 15 years. Okay. And then what, what changed? I think the Lord started to lead me out close to 2000. I remember one time having an experience because I was already doctoring people. I was praying for people. It was kind, it's kind of almost like a mediumship. So I would go and I would ask for dreams if somebody would. Maybe uh, one of the experiences was family lost their baby. And so they asked me to come and clean the room and and stay there and and doctor the mom so I was with the family and I would you know I put down my tobacco and I just asked her a dream and they gave me some very powerful dreams and insight and I would share with the family in hopes you know that this would help them encourage them bless them like I my heart was always to be a helper it was never to hurt anybody or do anything against anything and being out there and learning from people and doing things in the spiritual, in that place, it got intense for me during that time because things were actually starting to come into my body or into my dreams that I wasn't asking for. And I had to go to these elders and I had to ask them to, how do I stop this? How do I change this? What's what's happening? Like I'm, I'm trusting and I'm walking and I'm doing everything I, that I was told to do 
but this is happening to me in the spirit, in the in that soulish realm, I guess is what you would call it. So I went home one night and I was talking to my mom who is Mormon and I had chosen not to follow that path either. And I said to her, so if I'm doing something to understand that I'm doing something for God, how do I know for sure that it's him? And how do I know who I'm working for? And she knew what I was doing. Like mm-hmm. she, she knew what I was speaking about because she had seen me sun dancing and all these things. And I said, how am I, how do I make sure that I'm doing the right thing? And she said, well, just ask him. So I was like, oh, well, just ask him. Yeah. Some good advice from your mom. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I kind of got into prayer and I just, you know, I said, I want to know, I want to, I want to understand who do I work for? Who do I work for? And I thought it would be an answer, but God answers us in a way that he, he's never judging us. He's never harsh on us. He answers us in a way that we have room to grow and to learn and to change. And this answer would take place over 13 years, 12, 13 years. And so a spiritual answer, sometimes it's a long-term answer. It, it doesn't just happen right away. And even with our prayers in the soulish realm, you would pray going into a lodge for protection and that you would come back there with your family, your children, and your grandchildren in good health the next year and see everybody. So you would speak, declare blessings for yourself into the future. And so God answered me in a way that would take me forward quite a few years. And I saw this little man at... uh, at a chalkboard and he looked almost like a like a scientist and he had these little glasses and he had gray hair and then there was this I don't know if you've seen those they're kind of like little marks they're like they're kind of curvy on the end and a little a point in the middle and it just it just means everything under there is all included and this was kind of over the top of what he was doing and there was all these things angels, devils, principalities, all these different things, these big words and stuff down here, uh, realms, societies, all these things down here in writing on this chalkboard. And this big inclusive mark was uh, over the top. And I was looking at these things and the culture was here. The culture was included in there and the teachings and all that stuff up here was the name Jesus. Hmm. And this man in this looking like a little scientist kind of guy, he was standing at the chalkboard and he was saying, this is who controls the universe. Wow. And I woke up from that dream and I was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And, And it caused me to, again, search. It caused me to look at where I was positioned Look at what I was doing and say to myself, okay, I, I know this person, but I know this person in the religion that I was raised in. I know this person based on how I was brought up. And that hurts. That hurt. Like, how, how, do I go, how, how do I go back there? I can't go back there. And so there was, again, this confusion and this place that God was causing me to spin around in. And so I, I went to him, and I went to him the only way I knew how. I went in a ceremony, and I took my Bible, and I took my bundle, and 
I went in and I said, where do you want me to go? Because you see, he knows our hearts. Yes. So he knew that despite me going into, for 15 years, the red road, that his daughter had an obedient heart and she could trust him above people. And I think that's one of the best lessons that I've learned in this walk with the Lord is how to trust him when everybody is telling me, you know, the opposite of what my life needs. And how you build that trust is through relationship. That's right. It's through intimacy. It's through, um, you know, getting to know his heart and getting to know his character. Yes. That's how you build that trust. What is one thing you wish non-Indigenous Christians would understand about your story? Um, I really would hope that they would see, like, from that experience that I'm talking about, that I don't have a judging heart. Any place that they've been or they may walk or they may have to go or they may be in at this point because any of those places that I've walked, I have no fear of going back there to be with anybody who needs the love of God. I have no fear of, you know, going back to a powwow or a Sundance or a community, you know, feast or a gathering because if the Lord sends me there, He's with you. He's with me. (laughs) And he's there. He's omnipresent, right? So he's everywhere anyway. (laughs) He was there with me when I was there. Yes. He was there with me when I was there. He was keeping me. He was directing me. He was helping me to heal areas of my life that I could only find in that place. And that's for me. That's for me. I'm not saying that's for everybody. I'm saying that was my path. We can only share our own experience, right? Yeah. What word of encouragement would you like to share with other Indigenous listeners? Oh, you know, I really think the most important thing for me in losing my way and coming back to the Lord and finding Him, one of the biggest attractions for me was that He had a book. He had a word. He had specific instruction. Yes. He had specific direction for me. And this word, as I understand it, is Jesus. It's him. It's him. So if I can't get to him in my prayer life, if I can't get to him with the presence or the church or a pastor or somebody around me, I can get to my word. I can get to the Bible. And like I was saying, when I went and I put this into that ceremony and I asked that question, he gave me an answer and he started to lead me, call me to himself from that moment. Well, probably before then, but that I was aware of and I was invested in it. I was involved in that walk. He started to call me through the word of God. So one of the next things that happened was I was connected up with a lady from the Salvation Army. And she said to me, because I started to search, I started to search and he started to show me this movie about this man named Jesus and this love that I felt. He put me into this bubble. And so I started to search and she said to me, I want you to go in there into this word and I want you to find that eagle that you talked about. I want you to find maybe those colors, those four directions. I want you to find those circles that you're talking about. You know, God had a plan. 
Yes. In this word, everything that I needed back then, today, and going forward is found in the word. All in the word. (laughs) Amen to that. (laughs) Um, You know, Care Impact exists to connect and equip the whole church um, effectively to journey with community with children and families in hard places. From your experience, what would it look like for the church to journey well with others? It would look like a circle of love. A circle of love. And a people with a heart that would just say, what can I do for you? What is it that you need me to do for you? And the willingness to go out there and ask that question. And to do it. That's right, you know, person to person. Yeah, and to do it. What are some pieces of hope you can share with our listeners that reconciliation is happening? Well, the organization that we work with, you know, just taking that time for all these different groups and these different people to get together to to make something work that will support a network of First Nations families and people that are that are struggling out there. We need to look for those opportunities in our neighborhood, in our school, in our families, and just start to say, what can I do on a grassroots level? And and if it's not there, create it. Create it. Build it. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Have vision for it. Yes. (laughs) You know, Journey with Care was birthed out of, you know, just this vision to bring stories to the table, to bring the church and then the, you know, the capital C church and then maybe the smaller church and then non-Indigenous people and Indigenous people together around, you know, conversation, conversation of reconciliation, you know, trying to get to the hard topics of child welfare and trauma and just our experiences and and what reconciliation could look like, right? I, I guess I'll just ask this one last question. What would it look like to journey with care in your context? Well, for myself, the one thing that I was able to to do in in my journey that I think made it most successful for me was I was able to overcome the hurt and the anger and that that relationship that was so rocky with my mom for all these years. And because of that, I was able to restore difficult things in my past, put the pieces together and kind of see myself in a different view. And once I gave that forgiveness, I was set free from a lot of stuff. And so I think that once we're able to find ourselves on that journey to remove that hurt and all those old things from our past, I think that new future and that freedom and walking in that freedom, whether it's with your with your family, with your children, any of these relationships that are so damaged and broken, even with God, I think those are the goals that we we need to find ourselves, you know, those are the things that are so important because once we bring those things together, then we can bring that unity and fellowship back and that's reconciliation. Yes, I agree. Uh, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to come in sitting with me and just having this conversation with me. Um, I want to thank you for sharing your story, um, sharing your experience and, you know, the love of God that you carry I've always felt that from you. I've always experienced it from you, that you just have this love and you have the love for the people. I see it in your ministry. I see it in your walk. It says you will know them by their fruits. And I feel that that is your heart. Your heart is to care for people and to journey well, 
to journey well with others. So I just thank you and I honor you for coming to sit with me and let me interview you on Journey with Care. So uh, I thank you and I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Journey with Care with Melvina Gabosh. Thanks for listening to the Journey with Care podcast, where paths connect over real life stories and honest conversations. We hope you continue to join us on this journey of faith, reconciliation, and loving our neighbor. Be sure to like, follow, and share. Special thanks to host Melvina Gabosh, ARC podcast engineer Johan Heinrichs, and donors who help make this show possible. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church across Canada to effectively journey in community with children and families in hard places. Learn how Care Impact is transforming the way churches engage with child welfare with our Care Portal technology and academy training. To support this podcast or to learn more about us, go to careimpact.ca or click the link in the show notes. We're so glad you are part of this journey with us as we journey with care, even in the messy. Until next time.